Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 62 of the J Situation Podcast. I'm recording this on May 11th, 2021. How you folks doing? Man, I'm doing pretty well. It is raining here. It's like raining cats and dogs outside. So if, if you hear some weird background noise, that it might be the rain uh, on my roof here. But uh, I did some audio testing. Didn't seem like it was going to be an issue, but uh, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Man, I would. I this has been an insane week because I, I was I was traveling at the end of last week and all weekend. Okay, so like I'm playing a crazy amount of catch up right now. You, you know how that you know how it goes. Sometimes you gotta you gotta pay to play or something like that. Anyway, it's okay. Uh, a lot of great experiences this past weekend for Pew Science. Uh, so that's awesome. I'll get into that a little bit on today's episode. You know, one thing I did do. Um, I, I visited a gun shop in Utah. It was neat. I hadn't been to Utah in a bit, so it was nice to go there. Man, you know who I saw in that gun shop? I saw Gary Hughes' son. You know, Gary Hughes, of, of, you know, he used to be a dead heir. You know, Gary's son was there sitting there working the counter. I was like, oh my goodness. Hey, man, what, how you doing? He's like, I'm doing pretty good. You know, there was a lot of other gun dudes in there were doing, talking about gun stuff. Man, that was wild. Shout out to you, sir. I don't think he listens to the podcast, but but if he does, he'll hear this. <laughs> you know, it was it was a good gun store. Um, a lot of guns, man. A lot of ammo too. They had everything in the store, and even um, they had ammo. I mean, the ammo was expensive, but it wasn't too crazy, I guess. I mean, for the current prices, um, they had and you know they had a silencer display case. Um, it was really cool. It had it had some old relics, some you know, some old AAC rifle stuff, some old OSS, some old Surefire, some Surefire sensors in there. It's not even made anymore, and the, the muzzle devices weren't even there. They didn't have the muzzle devices for them. I was like, ah, oh, that's you know, it's interesting. Um, oh, they had one of those new brown painted um, Sam NSs. You know, it was in there. I saw that. Uh, it's just cool to see that stuff in in the wild. You know, just to really see that out there in, in a dealer shop was cool. Um, so that was nice. Um, th- there's a guy behind another guy behind the counter. He was, uh, he, I guess he's going to join law enforcement soon as a young man working at the gun store, wants to be a law enforcement officer. And he, uh, he showed me, he had this 11 and a half inch carbine rifle, um, you know, carbine length gas. I, he was very, it was a very nice rifle. He had a lot of stuff on there. He had EOTech on there, had an EOTech magnifier on there, had a Sandman K he had put on there. Um, he let me check out his rifle, you know, let me kind of look through the magnifier. Cause I told him I was looking for one, you know, um, to tell you what, and this is like, I'm a little disappointed. I looked at that EOTech magnifier and the eye relief was just not something I enjoyed. It was a little bit too restrictive. Like the eye box, I guess you could call it like the forward and aft position of your head in relation to the, no, excuse me. In relation to the magnifier, um, to be able to look through it, it like definitely was not that hard. I mean, it was it was it was it was not it was a little bit hard to um to focus like to to get in the right spot. I mean, I could do it, but like it wasn't as nearly nearly as forgiving as, for example, like the freaking sight mark magnifier I have. So I was like, well, that's kind of lame. Maybe I, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was just the way I was holding it, or like, maybe I'm misremembering the way the sight mark one worked, I don't know, I gotta check again, but I did reach out to the guy who designed the magnifier, the guy at Trigicon, 
I'm going to talk to him about his magnifier too. Maybe he could give me some pointers on that. Um, shout out to you, sir. We emailed earlier this week or last, or it was last week. So anyway, so that's another little bit of an anecdotal data point for you guys with regard to that magnifier. I thought that was interesting. And that was a cool story about a nice gun store that had a lot of silencers. So that's cool. It's in Utah. A lot of graffiti and everything. It was nice. Um, anyway. But the other, you know, you know the other thing that that gun store had? It had a freaking silencer shop kiosk. And you know, the J Situation Podcast is probably sponsored by Silencer Shop. <laughs> yeah, I snuck that in. Shoe, shoehorn the sponsor read in, Jay. <laughs> it, it is, it is though. The, the podcast is sponsored by Silencer Shop, the most efficient and intelligent way to purchase silencers. And as a silencer consumer, Silencer Shop is not only my dealer of choice, but it is my infrastructure of choice. They've done a lot of cool stuff. I create a really, really simple and easy system that minimizes the likelihood of errors in your paperwork. They pioneered the use of the QR code on the actual Form 4. Let the ATF scan the code when they... It's so cool, man. The ATF scans the code with a little reader there instead of having to input all your data themselves. There's a reason they've grown, man. They continue to innovate. They have a network of nation, nationwide dealers, man. They really do. It's crazy. Anywhere, everywhere silencers are legal, they're silencer shop dealers. And you can use the the, the, the kiosk there at the dealer. Uh, you do your fingerprints and your photos electronically. You cut down on errors. You simplify your silencer purchasing process. There's a money-back guarantee. It's great, man. No transfer fees. No paperwork errors. Just you and your silencer with no drama. It truly is silencer ownership simplified. And speaking of silencers, this podcast is also sponsored by the often cited but never duplicated Pew Science. (laughs) Pushing the silencer industry forward, the entire industry forward, one test at a time. Visit PewScience.com for the suppression rating, the simplest and most accurate hearing safe ratings for your suppressed small arms, and they're based on true human sound perception due to peer-reviewed analytical models applied to data that is acquired in a standardized way, all in accordance with the silencer sound standard on PewScience.com. You know, it's all there. It's been there for over a year. You can read it. Anyone who wants to test silencers can use it. It's all open for use. You know, I mean, it it, it, it sounds daunting, but if you are um, a dynamic analyst, if you are a test engineer, if you're running a test laboratory and you would like to test in accordance with the standard, you can. Everything you need is there. If you ever have any questions about that, you can you can reach out to me. Okay, and the really cool thing about it all is that it's 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 a standardized way to test. It's in accordance with the the evolved mill standard. It uses peer review uh, peer reviewed hearing models that are in. They're actually in the standard too that no one ever used, and you know Pew Science just decided to do it. I decided to do it for you guys. So you know that's basically it. it uh, you know, it's, it's it's easy to get caught up in the minutia, but really, like, if you want to just take the curtain back and say it is what it is, man, this is just this is just doing what you, what P 
people in the industry should have been doing forever. It's it's applying the the it's applying the test standard correctly. That's what the silencer sound standard is. Okay? And it walks you through gunshot noise, you know, sort of like Wikipedia, but it's cooler because it's about silencer sound. In section five, you'll find the suppression rating. Super simple. If it's higher, the silencer is going to sound better. If it's lower, the silencer is going to sound louder to you. It's pretty simple. It's in section five of the standard, and it, it's going to let you know how silencers stack up in comparison to one another with regard to the sound of the muzzle and the shooter's ear. It's going to give you a hearing safe dose limit, which is kind of cool. Just some extra information for you. And uh, it's going to do that for the particular platform on which the sensors are tested, man. Again, tied to human perception, which is really neat. For, you know, a healthy human ear. You know, sometimes if, you're, if you can't hear anything, man, you're going to, well, you, might, you know, you might, you might have some issues. <laughs> you're not going to find this information anywhere else, man. No one else is doing this. It's really hard. So, uh, you know, um, here at Pew Science, um, I work really hard to, to, to bring you the information so it can help you, okay? Um, this, the sixth section of the standard has, has reviews for all the, the different silencers. You can check them out at pewscience.com. And you know what? If there's too much information in there for you, it's fine. You don't, you don't really have to look at the reviews if you want. You can just go to the, the ranking section in, sec, in, in, uh, in section seven of the standard, and there's a little simple database tool. You can sort and view the suppression rating at the muzzle and ear for all the different weapons and stuff we tested so far. And... Uh, you can go wild with that. As always, um, if you're a manufacturer and you would like to use Pew Science for private testing and consulting services, maybe you're developing a, a silencer or a weapon system or something, um, there is a form on the website with which you can submit that inquiry. Uh, your contact information and all the, all the test data or, or deliverables we generate as part of an effort with you, it's all held in strict confidence, of course, unless you want to Unless you want to, you know, use our platform to release the data to the public, in which case we, we can certainly produce a deliverable like that for you publicly, um, if you're into that. Uh, but you don't have to. Um, you know, you can see sometimes we do that, and some of that's on the website. And you can support this podcast, Pew Science, and our testing by joining with a membership at PewScience.com. And you know, if you if you feel like it, you you can rate the podcast um, highly on your podcast provider, and uh, you can let just let folks know that, you know, iTunes and things like that and the general public know that silencers and guns are awesome. And then we can spread the word and through education, win the hearts and minds. Let's get off my, my soapbox there. It's, you know what? I, I frankly, I think I'm going faster than I usually do. So, well, now I'm jinxing it. <laughs> I got four topics for you today. <laughs> Topic one, Pew Science Field Trip to Utah. The land of silencers? I mean, kind of. I guess there are a lot of silencer companies there. <laughs> there are a few. We'll talk about that. Topic two, back pressure. Does it matter to you? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. When, how can you tell if it will matter to you or not? We'll talk about that. Topic three, listener questions. Ooh, boy, howdy. I, I answer more from round two. Going to be fun. I think. I hope. I bet it will. You guys ask such great questions. Topic four, thank you to all the dealers, manufacturers, and consumer members of Pew Science. You're making this happen. Your support is amazing. And the dealer feedback recently has been really great. So I wanted to highlight some of that. Okay. All right. We're going to get in topic one at the time of 
11 minutes, 59 seconds. Ooh, I beat 12 minutes. What is up? <laughs> Frankly, that's too long. We need to cut down. I, I, what I need to do is cut down my Pew Science ad. Who does this guy think he is? Some kind of Pew Science guy? Topic one, Pew Science field trip. Utah, the land of silencers? Yes. Man, I tell you, gosh, what a beautiful state, frankly. I mean, oh my gosh. And the weather? Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, I got there late at night, so like I didn't, you know, I always forget how awesome that place is. And then like the, I, you know, <laughs> wake up early the next morning to get my day started, do what I came there to do. And uh, I walked out of my freaking hotel and I look at... uh I look at the mountains and I was like, holy crap, the mountains are right there. This is crazy. I was like, I was like, man, I can get used to this. But of course, it was just a weekend trip. The air was nice and brisk. People were running. Looked healthy. I was like, wow. What a nice place. <laughs> it was nice. The, you know, actually, the, the wonderful folks at OSS, the, the sensor manufacturer, uh, one of the sensor manufacturers there in Utah, they invited me. They invited me out there to their facility. Um, I had been speaking with their test their their um their technical guys and their their operations guys that they they saw the data that I had I had produced that they did not know I was going to produce and they were like whoa dude like you're testing stuff in a pretty comprehensive way and I was like yes yes I am and they're like well would you like to come see how we test stuff and all the stuff we do and I was like yeah oh I was like yes <laughs> I was like you're inviting me to go um look at and do silence or science and you're asking me if I want to it's like it's like does a new silencer owner do a yard pop yes the answer is yes yeah of course I'm gonna go to Utah dude say no more fam I'm there tell me when so I went um so yeah invited me out there to, 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 to their facility there to speak about silencer testing, R&D, you know, meet with their technical folks, meet with their testing folks, which was really great. Um, and they were very good hosts. So shout out to you guys. I appreciate your your hospitality if, you, if you're listening. It was very kind. So yeah, we did some science. It was good. And I got dang NDA, so I can't, I can't talk a lot. I can't tell you everything. I'm like, God dang it. But um, suffice to say, it was very informative. And I, and I have to say also, which is really neat and something I can talk about, is that some of the stuff um, we did that day and that they showed me they had done did help to continue the validation of what Pew Science is working on with regard to sound suppression characterization, the validation um, of uh, flow restriction characterization, which is very complicated, um, and basically, you know, broad empirical characterization of the behavior of small arm weapon silencers. I mean, this is you know, what Pew Science is doing, right? We're, we're transparently, objectively, and openly evaluating silencers and weapon systems. Like this is, everything's on the website. Everything's transparent and open. Like literally the silencer sound standard is there for anyone who's actually qualified to do this. They have all the tools they need. It's no secret. And so it's like, you know, getting, going to a place where someone had, or some people had done research and testing and analysis in comprehensive ways that are different from what Pew Science has done. And then they're getting similar answers on some of the stuff that Pew Science gets, like independently, like without looking at our stuff, like without looking at Pew Science, they're like, they're doing certain things and they're getting similar answers. 
like with regard to the back pressure metric, for example. You know what I mean? And I was like, whoa, that is so crazy. And it was wild, dude. It was wild and it was encouraging. And I just, I geek out on that stuff because it's like true science, right? It's like, you know, my stuff's on the website to be peer reviewed by anybody. And, um, and yeah, they, and I was able to peer, you know, not comprehensively, but I was able to, you know, somewhat peer review what they were doing. And I was like, whoa, cool. I like it. You know what I mean? Jellybean? So yeah. Um, yeah, because, you know, there really hasn't been an effort like the one Pew Science is pursuing at the pace I'm pursuing it ever. Like, it just hasn't been done like this. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, in academia, like, they have done high-fidelity analysis of suppressed small arms and the small arms. Like, don't don't get it twisted. Like, Pew Science is not the only person in the world who can do this. Of course not. But I don't know if I've, if you guys have read the frequently asked questions on the website, but, like, there's a reason why I'm doing this is because the people who usually do this, you're never going to see the data because the rigor it takes to do it and the expertise it does is usually the, you know, the folks are at either they're going to be at the national labs. They're going to be at certain government labs that do testing for the military. And even in those labs that they're a lot of times they're not doing exactly what I'm doing here. So like you gotta, you gotta understand the gravity of it and why it's so difficult to do this for the public and why I've taken the steps I've taken to protect what I'm doing. Because it because when things are public, they are susceptible to corruption. And they are susceptible to uh, perversion and like, you know, people will, and, and scrutiny. And the, scrutiny is important, but there are like certain, act, there are certain actors in the silencer industry, in the firearms industry that, that are not, like super like super nice and super cool and so those folks like you know they t will target things to to bend and meet their agendas so we got to be careful but like you know being able to interface with folks that have tested the similar things that pew science has tested different silencers and stuff and seeing how they affect weapon systems and seeing how the sound signatures work seeing how the the apparatus works the, the, the weapon system apparatus that is seeing how the silencer interacts with the gun and how the silencer actually suppresses sound and having that third-party data, even if it's another manufacturer testing another manufacturer's stuff, you know what I mean? Like it's still valuable because it, because it when you understand how it's being done and you're there seeing things, you can apply your engineering judgment and your technical judgment to, to the results they get and take it for what it is and then discovered correlations you may not have normally thought there would be, blah, blah, blah. So I feel like I'm rambling now, but um, anyway, like I said, man, single largest public suppressed small arms research effort ever undertaken in history. So, you know, now that manufacturers like OSS are taking note, and there's more than OSS, right? You know, these manufacturers, they're, they're taking note, man. They're reaching out to Pew Science. And then other manufacturers are telling other manufacturers and they're telling dealers and consumers and everyone's talking about it, man. We're spreading. It's good. They're like, oh my gosh, like this is working. This is great. And I'm like, dude, thank you. Like that's good news. But I do want to say specifically about this and I, I don't, I hate to talk in generalities because I feel like it's a tease, but I will say that part of the validation work that I am excited about is the influence of silencer flow restriction or back pressure which i'm the more i talk about it i don't even want to use the term back pressure anymore just because i hate the it, 
I, I like the term flow restriction. I really do. Um, but back pressure is something that like is, I think, easier for people to understand. But I, I think flow restriction is such a cool, such a cool way to say it. But um, anyway, the influence of silence or flow restriction or back pressure on reciprocating weapon blowback is such an interesting phenomenon that is like actually really hard to study correctly. It, 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 it seems simple. But studying the real effects in a weapon system are, is really hard. It really is. And, and, it, and it's not that like the specific mechanism is hard. It's because of the dang variance in weapon systems and how many there are and, and, and what kind of variables you can deal with, with and, and how different a weapon system can behave with a silencer depending on your weapon. I mean, the, the very, it's very important to isolate variables. And that's why you see me testing on bolt guns with like a certain barrel length, right? And away from all reflecting surfaces to, to get you the suppression rating, right? You know, that's why it's like so stringent and strict and specific because we have to have apples to apples at all points. So sometimes when you're quantifying flow restriction or back pressure, like it's easy to quantify in certain guns when you use an adjustable gas block, right? Um, Because like you can tune the gun for the silencer and you need a different amount of clicks for the gun you know, to, to work correctly. And some gun guns need almost the same amount of clicks for a lot of silencers. Like you, some guns you could put pretty much like, like for example, some AR-15s, like the way they're set up or AR-10s, the way they're set up, you could put like any freaking 30 caliber silencer on that gun and with adjustable gas block. And it would use like almost the same amount of clicks and work fine. That like th- that can happen sometimes. And then some guns, however, are like super gas sensitive. And those guns, I mean, their function will vary wildly with silencer back pressure. Okay. And so I guess what I want to tell you is that, you know, there are other ways to evaluate silencer back pressure other than the, the empirical cor- correlation parameter omega that is on PewScience.com. There are other ways to do it. I mean, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, right? And there, there are other experimental ways. Than, than Omega, obviously. I mean, what I presented is something simple, uh, you know, a novel methodology that's simple. There are much more complicated ways to do it. And um, I got to see some of those ways. I got to watch them, which was very cool. And um, it was neat. And I showed them my data, and they showed, they showed me their data. And we got to compare notes and compare data. And I think the discussions were, were fruitful. And, man, it is just so good to have another manufacturer on board with Pew Science R&D, just at least just open to the dialogue about it. You know what I mean, Jellybean? Man, and I, 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 I'm I, not sure about this, but I think they might. They might become an advocate for it. I don't know. They might. Uh, but I, to, the, to date, any manufacturer I've worked for or with w- w- for R&D, uh, they, they, when they've worked with me privately, they become an advocate. Okay? It's unbiased, objective scientific research, man. This is literally living the dream. So I know that's a weird, almost sound like a commercial for Pew Science in a way. I guess in some ways it was. But uh, I did. I wanted to tell you about my experience and how happy I was with it, but I couldn't give you like proprietary data because I'm under NDA. So like, I don't know. Like I can tell you, oh, I can only tell you so much stuff, dude. Oh, I guess I can tell you. Okay. Let me think about this. I can probably tell you some stuff like, oh, okay, yeah, I saw how they put together silencers. Uh, 
I saw how like um, the silencers look inside. So I saw the inside. I held I held inside pieces. Um, I don't know what else. Uh, yeah, we tested stuff. Oh, I shot a scar. That was dope. Shot a scar, a three hundred eight scar seventeen. Uh, did double taps. Uh, suppressed, un, um, suppressed and unsuppressed. You know what's really interesting? Oh, this is good for you. This is good to know for you. And something I didn't know because for one, this is my first time shooting a scar. Like so, that was really cool. Um, so I shot the the scar unsuppressed right on the unsuppressed. Whatever the gas, I don't know what the gas configuration was, like or the gas jet, as they call it. I don't know what that was, but it was on the unsuppressed setting. Um, I shot it unsuppressed, and I shot it indoors. Okay? Did some double taps. That was fun. Very good. I shot it with the OSS HXQD762, which is the one I had just tested recently on PSonics.com. I put that on there, and I did not... With the same man I tested on PSN.com, and I did not um, change the gas setting. And also, I did not, um, I'm sorry, also the barrel length was like, oh, it was an SBR. It was not a machine gun, it was an SBR. And I can't remember what the barrel length is, but it's short. So then I did like double taps, 308 indoors with the OSS silencer on there. By the way, I'm wearing double hearing protection because I was wearing double hearing protection unsuppressed indoors because like it was in a small room so yeah so i did double tap suppressed and you know what the gun functioned fine but honestly i did get a little bit of wafting of gas out of the ejection port from the scar with the oss silencer attached and it was as a it was barely no it was a little bit noticeable um compared to unsuppressed so what does that show? It shows that the OSS silencer doesn't have a lot of flow restriction, but it does have some. And because it has such low flow restriction, and I just bare, or I'm sorry, yeah, and I just barely noticed it, like, that means that for there to be a noticeable difference, that means that gun must be back pressure sensitive. That particular gun. I mean, the gas setting was set to unsuppressed because and it has a gas. You can switch it or whatever. I think that's what it said. Like they had a little switching thingy on the front. I'm not super on the piston system there. I'm not super familiar with the scar, but like I took it apart and messed with it. Like you know, so that was cool. So like that was like a qualitative. That was a qualitative, semi-quantitative, qualitative understanding of the back pressure metric in real time on a weapon system. And I was like, huh cool it, it was a gas sensitive host with a low omega silencer and what happened barely any gas in the face suppressed when it was on the unsuppressed setting with the silencer that is what exactly what you ex would expect from the omega metric how did i get the omega metric i tested on a bolt gun and i followed followed the the methodology I developed that's on PewScience.com in the research in the public research supplement, right? That's how I got the Omega metric. And then I went to Utah and I shot the the dang thing on a scar and it did exactly what the Omega metric said it would. But why did it do what the Omega metric said it would? Let's talk about that in topic two. 
Topic two at a time of 27 minutes, 57 seconds. Yes, yes. Back pressure. Does it matter to you? Does the back pressure of a silencer matter to you? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, this is the omega metric, right? What, how important is the omega metric to you? Well, look, I need to, you guys to understand. I think I need to let you know, when you are viewing the omega back pressure metric on the website, and look, for those of you who haven't viewed it, check out the description um, in, in section 6.40, 640, and then the OSS review after that in 641. And then if you want to see an example of how a range of silencers with relatively low back pressure perform, check out um, 642. Okay? Because that's, that, that, that's a member's only research supplement, but that can help you. Now, I want you guys to know that you do you do need to take all of this in context, okay? Um, think about the weapon you are going to be using. Determine how gas sensitive it will be, okay? If you're going to be running a weapon that's notoriously overgassed or non-adjustable, then you probably want to be careful selecting a silencer in a high omega zone because you're like, oh man, what's it going to do to this gun? But if if the weapon is highly tunable or it's not gas sensitive which are two completely different things, okay? You may, you may get away with a high omega silencer with, with, not, with not a lot of problems, okay? So on what, what happened with the SCAR, with the SCAR that I shot? Well, the SCAR can be gas sensitive. It can be. Um, you can have different size gas jets, and also it has a... it The particular SCAR I was shooting had an adjustable gas block thing you wear... I think it had like a unsupper or man, I don't know. I might be butchering this, but I thought the setting was for like just a normal setting or and like an adverse setting or like or maybe it was just a maybe it was a suppressed setting. I don't know. I now I'm kind of upset because I forgot I forgot the dang setting and what it really was. I need to learn more about it. But um, basically, the, the 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 my point is. We shot it unsuppressed, and we didn't do anything to the gun except put the silencer on it. So regardless of the setting it was on, it was on the same setting for both unsuppressed and suppressed, okay? So nothing was done. Um, to feel some gas in my face on a host that is known by many to be sensitive to flow restriction... Um, it was interesting and to not have a lot of gas in my face from that silencer on that host was interesting. Um, it was kind of like a base level validation of, okay, cool. Like this silencer is actually flowing fast or rather the, the mass flow rate out of the end of the silencer is high and maintained enough to where the weapon functioned correctly. Um, and I, and it didn't, result in some kind of strange excess combustion products coming out of the the, the breach um i mean and so that's the in this case like is the, the silencer's low omega and the host kind of needs a low omega silencer you know could i have put a very high omega silencer on that that exact gun and gotten the same result i don't think so not according to the testing that I that I saw there. 
And um, it wasn't just the the scar. Tested an AK too. With very with a very popular AK silencer. And a, and a, and then an OSS silencer, or or rather, I think we tested the the OSS silencer on the AK, and then the the very popular AK AK silencer on the AK after that. And so that was interesting. So the AK is not tunable at all. Like, or it is actually, but that, that AK, that particular AK was not tunable. And the result was measurable in a way that I've never done. Like they were not measuring with Omega metric. They were measuring it with something else. And I saw that and I was like, whoa, that's dope. That's cool. So in summary, like you, you need to know, like if, if something's highly tunable, um, I just want to make sure you guys know that you can make concessions for flow restriction. Oh, maybe, you know what? Maybe that's no. I can give. I think I can give examples, but I want to say you can make concessions for flow restriction. If you if you really want a high back pressure, if you want a high omega silencer because you're going to use it on something that you know, like a bolt gun, and you want to use it on your semi-auto too, don't fret. You can still use it in your semi-auto. You just gotta know what you're doing with your semi-auto, dude. You in your semi-auto might not have any problem with that silencer. It just not every not every semi-auto is gonna gas you out. I promise, man. I've seen you know what I've seen? I've seen semi-autos and I've seen full autos gas people out with a low back pressure silencer like the same NK. But that silencer was overgassed before you even put a silencer on it. So don't don't worry too much about that. You know, you can you can fix your guns. Um most of them. You know what I mean? Like AR ARs. Um you know, you can dial in your gas. You can add mass to the recoil system. You can delay the unlock in different ways. The AR is tunable. Now, but if your host is gas sensitive, that's a different thing. And like, for example, let's let's compare two guns. Compare a 16-inch rifle-length gas system AR to a 14-and-a-half-inch to carbine-length gas system AR. Which of those is going to be more forgiving to a silencer with high flow restriction or high omega? Well, the 16-inch rifle gas is going to be more forgiving for a high back pressure silencer. Why is that? Well, it's because it has a lower dwell time. We already we've talked about that ad nauseum on other episodes. So, does that mean the the 14 and a half inch carbine can't be great? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What if the gas port is small enough? What if the gas port is small enough on the 14 and a half inch carbine length gas system and doesn't let that much gas through for the amount of dwell time, which it has a lot of dwell time because it has a carbine length gas system and the barrel's 14 and a half inches long. So the, the gas port's going to be active for a while. But what if the port's small enough? Well, well, then it still might be okay. But no matter what, that gun is inherently more gas sensitive as a system than the 16-inch rifle um, with, with, uh, with rifle length gas. Just, that's just physics. It's it's going to be more gas sensitive. So, because the changes in that gas port are going to affect a lot, man, a lot, a lot. So just understand that. And then you might get more more blowback out of a host when it's really gas sensitive if the silencer has a high omega. But if the silencer has a high omega and you want to use it on a host, you can change your host if you want. You know, unless you have some kind of gun that's not changeable. And there are lists of those guns. And you, you know what? Even on some of the, the problem child guns, what is it? Like a I guess I've heard the scar can be can actually behave well. 
sometimes. But, you know, there are gas jets to adjust and stuff. So, you know, I know that it has a really high recoiling mass. So if you, uh, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't adjust your scar right, suppressed, you're going to break it, homie. You got to break your scar. That's not good for you or the scar. I hope this helps. I hope that, that, like, don't get too hung up on back pressure, but, but understand it. Okay. And then you can mitigate blowback. Remember back pressure is a function of the silencers flow restriction. Blowback is a function of how a particular weapon may behave when it encounters a silencer with a certain omega perimeter. It is a continuum. It is not black and white, but the data is there to guide you, to help you. And if you have questions, tech at PewScience.com. Okay? Hope that helps you folks. All right, we're going to go to topic three at a time of 36 minutes and 59 seconds. Man, look at me like hitting the... I'm like, you know, in radio, if I was a radio DJ, which I'm not, but back in the day, they used to like do this thing where they were like, got to hit the post, which is like right, right where the song was going to be before they, anyway, I've heard that term before. Topic three, <laughs> listener questions. I answer more from round two for you now. Okay. I'm going to do this. Let's get into our spreadsheet. Remember. We did leave off on, oh, my God. All right. You know, I had a guy, and I, I didn't, and I'm sorry, sir, if you're listening. I, I didn't respond to your DM. I saw it. I just got busy, and I just now remembered your, your DM, and I remembered that I forgot to respond to you. He told me, he said, Jay, this is on Instagram. He said, Jay, you, uh, this is like the second time in a row where you've gotten scared of um, closing your spreadsheet and losing all your information. You should really consider using Office 365 to uh, use autosave and save your data in the cloud to uh, avoid uh, data loss, sir or ma'am. No, just sir, because I'm a sir. He was like, he said that to me. I said, man, you know, I, you know, I thought to myself, I was like, dude, I know. <laughs> and like, there's a little button on my accelerate here where I could sign in. But here's the thing. I don't I don't like that because I don't like to pay Microsoft for, for stuff, okay? They have enough of my money already. Office 365. What a racket, dude. Like remember when you could just like like and I think I think my office is how did I even register this? I it is legal. Relax. I didn't pirate this, guys. I mean, that's that's like okay. Allegedly, back in the day I may have pirated software, okay, when I was a child. Young Jay, young innocent, not so innocent Jay. Um, okay, we're in we're in group two of questions, which is frankly a little little um, overwhelming. Uh, you guys, uh, you guys really came through, and frankly, it's a little it's a little intimidating because <laughs> you're really smart, and I'm like, oh my god, I hope I get these right. Um, I think I will. Um, question seventy four, local number three, so group. In, in 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 question in 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 the question group, it's actually the third of the new group. Um, last time we answered that, and the question was, um, how many rounds does it take to put through an average sponsor until you need a new one? And that was a very good question. And I I and I basically told the gentleman, you know, um, there are a lot of things to that. Depends on firing schedule. If and if you want to hear the the rest of the answer to that question, you can certainly go to the previous episode and and. Uh, Fast forward and, and figure that out. So, 
we'll just move on to the next question now. So I had, I had highlighted that in yellow. We're going to go to this question, question four, um, the 75th question in total. And this actually, this question, the next question, the next question. And so the next four, this question and the three questions after are for the same dude. He, he submitted a, a four-parter. Um, if I remember correctly, he might be a Pew Science member. It's I don't put the names in here, but I think he is. And his questions show it. Okay. Question one from this gentleman. Local question four, global question 75. Have you ever had to scrap test data? If so, what happened? Oh. Excellent question, sir. Um, yes. I actually have had to scrap test data for Pew Science. I've had to scrap entire days worth of test data. Um, it, not pleasant. Not a pleasant experience, and I, I don't take it well. <laughs> I mean, I take it. No, I don't. I never do. I don't think I ever take that. I mean, I take it as well as I can, I guess. It's not not something that makes me happy. Um, and some of the reasons, you, you're asking what happened. Like some of the reasons are really bonehead, really bonehead stuff that I'm it's like really embarrassed about. Like like early on, like when I was first, when I was first doing this stuff and investigating like all the different variables and the different techniques, man, I made a lot of mistakes, dude. Tons of mistakes, and actually mistakes that I didn't even realize I was making until I would get home, like, after the long, like, all-day event. And then, like, I started looking at stuff and more closely, and I was like, oh, my God, what in the actual... Like, I was like, oh... And that was, like, a long... That was, like, several years ago. That was several years ago, like, when I first built PewSoft. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what am I doing? And then... um. Like, I, and I, that was, but that was a long time ago. So, like, I can't, obviously, I'm not going to share, I can't share specifics. Like, I just can't. Like, there's trade secrets that would be, I don't know. I can't go over the farm. But, um, but suffice to say, it was frustrating. And, you know, there are, there are actually, <laughs> there are things that have occurred since then that have resulted in completely useless test series. Like, completely, like an entire test series, useless. Like the data is, I have the data, but it's like, I would never publish it. Um, now like circa 2021 and like 2020, like I have a lot of checks in place to avoid that happening. Like I, it's incredibly expensive. Like, and the, the, the technical reasons, man, that there are very technical reasons why test data might not be useful. And I will say a good test engineer is also able to figure out how to use test data when many other people think the test data might be compromised. Okay, that and I've seen it for 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 almost almost a decade and a half. I have seen what separates a good test engineer from a from from a normal one or a, or a mediocre one. I've seen it. I've seen it in experience. Like it is not something you learn overnight it's not it's very difficult and it's takes experience and and it takes time and um you know understanding understanding what you're measuring what the limitations are of your equipment what the limitations are of your resulting analysis of the data like you need to understand like what can you actually do with your data what 
If something goes wrong in testing, what is it going to affect? And do you actually know? Those questions are are serious questions. Okay. Um, you know, you need to understand, like, like understanding all of the big picture end results when you're in the middle of a test program, that is the key to success. Understanding all the big picture end results. That is how you succeed at a test program. Okay. In order to be a good test engineer, you, you have to be, you, you have to be exercise. You have to be patient. You need discipline. You have to be obsessive. And, and you have to be practical and you know you need to know when to call it and you need to know when to make decisions I'm telling you what I'm serious like these these traits patience discipline obsession and 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 practicality a mixture of all those look I've operated in in this arena for a long time if you don't have all that you will fail I don't care and I'm serious and it it's gonna be the difference between world class and and not and the drop-off is big it's the, the, there are you know you you want to you want to think there's like gray areas and like a scale of like good but no it's like world-class or bad a lot of times like it's because the level of effort is not linear dude it is like if you want to do this okay buckle up buttercup because it, it's not it's not like gonna be uh a day at the ranch to 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 drink beer and shoot guns bro <laughs> if only uh, like not not that you should drink alcohol and shoot firearms that I would never do something like that um yeah so you know let's say you're testing I mean if if let's say you don't understand one thing in the chain of events that's occurring and that you're that you're doing in your protocols that can mean the difference between the test program of the year and the one that falls flat. Okay. And, and I tell you what, I pulled some rabbits out of hats, dude, like zero hour in the thick of it, in the clutch. What are we going to do to fix this? What are we going to do to get a result? We, we, these conditions are abysmal. How are we going to do this? What can we control? What can we do? And having that experience to be able to do that and not waste a test day, bro. That's that's like when you end up doing it and you pull it off and like your your uh, test crew like you're walking away after it you're packing up when it goes like when it goes well and you're packing up which takes like <laughs> sometimes hours to like pack up and you know you got a job and you know you all like stuck with it and like you got it done in the face of adversity you worked as a team and it was like so frustrating and like took such a long time, but like that you've done your op checks and you're like, you looked at the data and you're like, you know how clean it looks and how awesome it is. And you know how like tight your setup was and just like everything was awesome. And you like, you all look at each other. You don't even have to talk. You don't even have to say anything. You just like look at each other and you're like, dude, that was awesome. And, and you, you high five, you high five. You go, you, 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 you go to Outback Steakhouse on the way home. You get the ribeye and the big beer. They ask you what size you want. You say, I want the big one. And you, you, you freaking celebrate, man. That's like, it's awesome. It's like winning a game or I don't know. It's like a team thing. You're like, yes, dude, paid off. What is up? You know what I mean? 
But then again, I've also experienced the agony of defeat where like I've done the drive of shame home knowing that the like eight to 16 hours I've spent is all for nothing um, other than what I have to tell myself a learning experience. So like <laughs> I don't off myself. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wouldn't off myself, but I'm saying like not to be dramatic. I'm like, you know, mel- talk about melodrama. No, I'm, 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 and I'm not making light of, of that. That's not funny, but um, like, it's kind of funny because it, I say it in jest because it's like, oh my God, how low do you feel when, when you mess up and you know you could have prevented it because like you'd made a bonehead play and you're like, oh, it's like Ace Ventura. Remember Ace Ventura, the first one with Jim Carrey? And he's like, laces out, <laughs> you know? And they're like, dude, like they were out. And he's like, no, they weren't. It's like, you know, the guy's like freaking out because he thinks he could have fixed it. Well, in this case, like the laces, the laces were in, and you're like, bro, like just put the laces out. Ugh. Some of you who haven't seen that movie, you're not going to get that analogy. But anyway, like I'm trying to say, I've learned a lot of error. I've I've learned a, I've le- learned a lot of error mitigation. Okay, I've learned a lot, and my my error rates and my mistakes are getting lower every time. Okay, I'm just getting better. Pew science is just getting better. <laughs> okay, so like you asked. Have you ever scrapped test data? And if so, what happened? I I know I it sucks because I can't tell you the exact thing, obviously, because I can't. I, I just can't tell you the exact thing, but I can tell you. I can tell you all that, okay? <laughs> you guys are like, wow, thanks for the answer. Thanks for the non-answer, Jay. Question five, global question 76, sub-question two from this gentleman. What is your dream hunt? Oh, a non-silencer question. Thank you. <laughs> I actually enjoy that sometimes. I talk about silencers literally all the time. Just ask my fiance. She's going to kill me. If I don't show up one, one of these Wednesdays for this podcast, guys, like if I don't show up, like <laughs> you might know why. <laughs> no, my dream hunt. Um, um I think... Oh man, there's a tie. I there's two of them. Uh, okay, the, my first answer is uh, doll sheep in Alaska. Um, in, in the mountains, on foot, like flying by seaplane. Um, hike, sleep on the side of the mountain, find doll sheep, get a doll sheep. It's named after Richard Dahl, D A L L. Like I would like to do that, um, at least once in my life. I would like to hunt doll sheep in Alaska. That would be fantastic. I'm not sure if I need a 300 wind mag for that. Um, I'm assuming I need to buy a 300 wind mag and start training. Um, <laughs> like I act like I'm going to do it next year. No, but maybe I am. No, I don't know. Um, that would be great. That's one of my dream hunts. That's, that is the hunt. I think that's probably like the one like that I would like to do before I die. Like at least once type of things. Um, now I will say... Um, a more attainable dream hunt, probably, like logistically, or maybe not. I don't know if it's, it could be as challenging, maybe less challenging in its own way or more challenging in its own way. It would be elk with, with a bow and, and not a gun. Probably elk. Um, I've never been elk hunting at all, actually. I've, you know, I, I really want to. Um, I think it would be amazing. I, uh, I have eaten elk meat, 
and I really like it. Um, you know, cause I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a white tailed deer hunter here, here in, in South Texas, you know? And so, um, you know, one thing I enjoy about hunting, it's not only the shot, but it's the prep, right? It's the preparation. It's the experience, man. It's everything. And I, I love the outdoors. I love hunting. Um, I love stalking animals. I like tracking them, hopefully for a short time. If I've shot them, like I don't, it's no one likes to have to track a, a wounded animal really far. Like that's not a good day. Um, I like blind. I, I actually I also like blind hunting. I know some people don't. I do enjoy it. Um, like the act of preparing a hunting area and and watching animals and like learning the landscape and and you know kind of you know it's fun, man. You you, you create the perfect predator trap. You know, basically, you're using everything you can to take advantage. Man, I mean, white-tailed deer, for example, are perfect prey animals. Their heads on a swivel. Their eyes can detect movement very easily. I mean, their sense of smell is amazing. It's Oh, my gosh, it's so nice. They can hear you coming very easily. And when something's out of place, they know it, man. They do. And and, and when when the, they sound the, when the white-tailed deer, when they sound the alarm to each other with their tails and you see it, and, and you know, you, you, you just watching the, the dynamics of the herd as as it moves and they interact and they meet new deer sometimes and they say, Who are you? And they they they, they kinda of, they all their tails go up and they look over there and say, Who who are those guys? Man, I've seen that happen. Oh, it's so cool. Like, oh, what are the where are these these deer aren't here all the time? Who are they? And you watch it. I I've actually I've stayed out for like two days straight watching Whitetail outside of season. Like outside of hunting season, I stayed out watching like two days straight watching whitetail to watch their behavior. It's amazing. Like you, you camouflage yourself and you're quiet and, and you, you're watching them. You get so close. I, be, I, I set up a ground blind sometimes. I have whitetail deer coming right next to me. I could touch them. I could touch them. And just being super quiet and your camouflage and you're just your scent is controlled and you're just you're just you're like a rock and you're watching these animals and it's like one of the most fantastic experiences you could ever have as a human being. And I just I love it so much. It is just it's amazing. And I hope that people get to experience it. And even if you don't want to shoot an animal and kill it and eat it, which frankly I recommend, if you don't want to do that, dude. Have you ever been bird watching? Well, like watching uh, mammals is way more fun because birds are dinosaurs. And if they were big, they'd kill you. They're like cats, right? Like cats, like your house cat. If you have, I don't know if you're a cat person, but if you're a, I'm not. I mean, cats are fine. I'm just, I'm more of a dog person. But like, if you have a cat, you know, right? If that cat was the size of you, you would be dead. Okay, like don't, don't pretend that that cat, cares anything about you all it wants is wants to eat your food that you give it that's all it wants dude like and if it if it finds you you acceptable it might like kill some stuff outside and like bring it to you as an offering like that's what cats do right like if you die that cat's eating you bro if you die in your house and no one knows and your cat's home (laughs) bro that cat's gonna eat you you know why it's a carnivore okay they're just like shrunk down versions of death machines (laughs) Where was I going with this? Oh, right. Birds. Birds are disasters. Those things are dinosaurs, and they're just small, so, like, they don't kill us. 
You ever seen a hawk die bomb someone? It tries to kill you. Probably could if it wanted to. You let it. Imagine birds bigger. Imagine birds bigger, dude. Imagine imagine a bird big. See, that's not cool. Watching birds, you might like it. That's fine. Watching prey animals that we can eat, that's dope. Because it's safe. I mean, it's cool to watch mountain lions too. But like, you know a mountain lion is going to kill you. But hey, that'd be cool to hunt. Well, I don't know. My, my point is, if you don't want to kill things, you don't have to. You can totally, and that's like what separates us from, you know, animals, right? As humans, like we are animals, but we're a little more sophisticated. So like enjoying nature and and, what, and like observing animals for days, you know, if you want to play National Geographic, play National Geographic. Dude. You don't have to, you don't have to kill anything. Okay. So, I mean, I recommend it. If you're not, and if you're not into animals, you don't like animals and you're just like, Jay, why aren't you talking about silencers and shooting people in the face? I'm like, okay, well, relax. <laughs> I, I don't know. I love animals and I love killing them and I love eating them, dude. I love, I love everything about animals. So yeah, that's what they're there for really at the end of the day, especially, especially prey animals. They're literally built to die or at least they're built to not die right away to make it a little bit harder. That's, I mean, just look at how they're made, dude. Look at their, their biological features. Um, global question 77, local question three, um, or, you know, local question six, uh, listener, uh, listener question three, this, this, so the third question from this gentleman, he's on a roll. What is your favorite portrayal of silencers in movie or TV? That's a good question, man. Um, favorite, you know, it's hard. Cause like, there are very few movies or TV shows that do that do silencers justice or silencer behavior justice. And, the, you know, in, in my memory, there might be some that are awesome that are just not in my, I just might be forgetting them. But off the top of my head, like, oh, man, I'm open to suggestions. If you guys, please, if you guys have any that are cool, please send them to me because I'll totally watch the movies. I'm such a nerd like that. Please show them to me. But um, I think there are probably some really good ones. One that sticks out in my mind I would have to say is from Terminator 2 when Sarah Connor goes and she goes and she her mission that night is she needs she wants to go kill Miles Dyson at his home. You, you remember Miles Dyson? He he's she's so okay. So the term okay. I don't know if you're familiar with Terminator, but um in the future, John Connor, um, the leader of the resistance, the human resistance against the machines. He sends um, the, a, a Terminator, um, uh, an infiltrator unit, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, back in time to protect his young self, to ensure that he can survive and form the resistance to fight the machines. Okay. His mother, Sarah Connor, who had a run-in with time-traveling crazy people in the, in the previous Terminator, has become quite adept, uh, adept to um, uh, um, uh, hand-to-hand combat and small arm, um, small arm weapon system operation. So this uh, lovely lady goes on a mercenary mission because she gets that they figure out, you know, through. I'm, I'm not going to tell you a whole dang movie. I'm not James Cameron over here. But what I'm trying to say, she takes it upon herself to uh, to go and uh, go to Miles Dyson. 
Dyson's house. He's the guy basically responsible for developing the artificial intelligence technology. He's basically the black Elon Musk. Okay? Miles Dyson is like a cross between... He's like the black Elon Musk crossed with... Mark Zuckerberg crossed with... um. The CEO of Google, whoever that is now, crossed with someone. And this dude needs to die, like, in the movie, right? Sarah Connor's like, no, dude, I know how to stop this right quick. So she goes to his house at night. And his, you know, he's, he's like, working. he's a workaholic. So he's, like, straight up, like, pew science right now. Like, he, you know, he in that movie, he reminds me of me. He's, like, sitting there at the computer at all hours. His wife's like, dude, like, can you come to bed, please? And like his son is like playing with his freaking um remote control car in the house. It's all going. This dude is like oblivious to it. He's typing his computer. He's like, oh, I gotta figure out how to destroy my account and mankind. No, I'm just kidding. He was like, I gotta figure out how to make this cool and like make this brain work. And Sarah Connor goes up in the window, like outside. She's got this um She's got this M16, right? It's a um, it's a Colt Commando carbine, I think, is what she has. She's got a Trigicon ACOG on top of this gun, and it's on top of the carry handle, I think. It's on top of the carry handle of the gun, and I don't know what's. I don't know. I don't remember, or I don't know. I don't think I ever knew what silencer is on that gun. But I like that scene. She she aims at. She's she has this Trigicon ACOG. She's She's going to ice this dude. She's totally going to kill Miles Dyson. And I don't remember, I can't for the life of me remember why she misses. I think it's because the the son drives his remote control car over and it hits something and distracts Dyson. So he like moves or something and his head moves so she misses the shot. It's like basically a movie, right? So it's like, oh, of course she's going to miss because they need the plot and they need him to detonate the bomb. And oh, oh, that's right. Like if you haven't seen Terminator 2, spoiler alert. You might want to fast forward, but basically, Miles Dyson ends up sacrificing himself for the good of like mankind. So you know maybe he's not so bad, and maybe he isn't Mark Zuckerberg after all. Maybe he's like a cross between like Elon Musk and um, like the original people in Google, where their 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 motto was like "Don't be evil," right? Maybe he's like that. So maybe Miles Dyson like has less Zuckerberg and more Musk, and like more early Google. I, I'd say that's a good mix. Um, so anyway, back to the silencer. So this silencer sound, it's not, it doesn't sound real, that real, but it sounds, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's kind of good. And, um, um, it sounds pretty good. She shoots the computer screen up. She shoots a bunch of rounds. I'm pretty sure she's doing auto bursts. I can't remember. Yeah. She's pretty sure she uses in select fire. Um, it was awesome. I love that scene. I know it's not really a great scene, silencer scene in the movie per se, but frankly, Frankly, it's um it's one of the best applications of a centerfire rifle silencer in a film I've ever seen. I mean, she's using it for the purpose. She's going to suppress flash, mask her position, and suppress sound signature relatively well. I think it, they overdo like what it sounds like. I think it should be louder in the movie probably, but it sounds cool. It sounds like it's such a movie thing, but it's cool. It's probably not real, but I don't know what silencer it is. Anyway, there are probably others, but that's one of them, man. That's the one that stands out in my mind. Okay, <laughs> you're like, did that two guy just basically 
spoiler alert, half of Terminator 2 on a podcast. <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, global global question 78, local question 7. Uh, question the, the fourth and final question from this, this gentleman. What do you keep in your blind bag? Oh, excellent question. He means, um, so for those of you who are not hunters and in, in, in blind and blind hunters, so um in a lot of times in areas where the game animals are very adept to to seeing you and detecting you, especially when there's high levels of predation, like in South Texas, in um white-tailed deer are very hard to um to deal with. Hunting from a blind lets you conceal your position almost like a sniper's nest. Um, how you would do during um, a time of war in a battle. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, a blind is kind of like that. And you, a lot of times, it, 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 even if you're not hunting, if you're going to watch animals, you kind of have a, have a little loadout kit. You have a little bag with you because, you know, you're going to be there a while and you don't wanna have to move. So um, that's a good question, sir. And actually, I think you might be the first person to ever ask me that. But uh, maybe besides my fiance, when, when like when I met her and like, well, she was my girlfriend at the time, and I was probably like, well, what do you keep in your blind bag? And like, she's like, well, what are you keep in your blind bag, because she hunted before she knew me. I was like, oh yeah, you hunt? Say word. <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> no, but in mine, I keep. What do I keep? I'm, let me get a mental checklist. Um, definitely a knife, binoculars. Um, hearing protection, always hearing protection. Uh, thermal spotter, thermal spotting scope, um, gloves, rope, batteries for like stuff that I have, like flashlight batteries and stuff. Uh, flashlight, um, a poncho, keep a poncho to do various things with. Um, you, you never know when you need that. Uh, like a small right in the rain notebook. I don't know if you've ever seen those little notebooks. I like to take notes sometimes when I hunt and when I observe animals. I like to notate the day, the time, what's happening. Um, something I I'm a fan of. Um, I, a pencil or pen to, to write in said notebook. Uh, some snacks. I like snacks. Snacks are good. I don't bring a lot, but sometimes, sometimes I bring snacks. Oftentimes I don't. I like to hunt hungry. Um, but if I'm going to be out all day long, I will bring like some some bars, like an energy bar, granola bar or something, just to give me some quick energy. If I'm going to be out like the entire, like like a 12-hour day. If I'm going to be out a 12-hour day, you know I'm bringing some snacks just in case. Um, a water bottle, uh, matches, lighter, some, some fi type of fire starter uh, just to do it like, you know, quick and cheap if I need to. Um, maybe a spare mag. For like my sidearm, if I'm carrying one, or like my my long gun, if I have like if I'm using a magazine magazine fed weapon, I might have a spare mag. Uh, it really depends on the weapon. Um, and you know what? I put all that stuff in like an old Remington day pack, like I found like at Academy, which is like an old it's a sporting goods store down here in Texas. Um, like a long time ago, it's like camo, it's a camo backpack. It's like a, it's like a little backpack. It works. Put stuff in there. Um, I like it. It's been everywhere with me hunting, man. It's like rain, snow, mud, dirt, dust, you know, sun, everything. So, yeah. That's what I do, man. I hope that's informative. Um, okay. Let's do about an hour in. Um, we need a few more. I, I think I can do some more for you. Okay. Um, so, thank you, sir, for those four. You asked four great questions, and, and I hope those were, I hope those answers were satisfactory to you. 
Okay, global question 79, local question eight. Which silencer's performance data surprised you the most? Oh man, good question. Um, Probably OSS. And it's fresh in my, is that true? Um, I think the, C, the CGS Helios QD surprised me a lot. That one did, but I think maybe the OSS surprised me more for different reasons because I think everyone, I, I actually think everyone was surprised about it. I think some people still don't believe it, frankly. And there, and some people, some people, as we speak, and I know this sounds weird, some people are looking for reasons not to believe it. Like having shot it, they're like, oh, I don't like they want it. They don't want to believe it. Like that's how deep some of this like preconceived notion stuff goes. Isn't that crazy? I don't know. I'm fighting that sometimes with, with people's preconceived notions. They just need to like abandon what they think they know and just look at the data, dude. The data's there. Like don't. Anyway, like you know, because that and that's part of the reason why I published that members-only research supplement that showed the, the frequency response of the OSS in it, like to show like what the true sound signature was, what it actually does to your ears, and what it looks like, and like so people like so people who, so Pew Science members that saw that, and those that you thought it was loud when you heard it, that shows you why you thought it might have been loud, right? But you saw you saw how it was loud and like what was actually damaged damaged into your hearing, what's not, right? You saw that, yeah, it's wild, right? You would have never known that with looking at peak dB, and and so that's something that everyone with the data acquisition system that's testing silencers, if they wanted you to see the full waveforms, they would they would show you because Pew Science isn't the only one that can show you the full waveforms, but the people, other people that can show you the full waveforms in the industry, they're well known people. They won't show them to you. So, so this is why the OSS answer was surprising. Why was it surprising? Because I got to see the full waveforms. Because no one that's tested it has ever done that. Right? No one ever wants to show you the full waveforms. They never want to. Why? Funny how that works, fam. Why would someone not want to, you to see the full pressure and impulse waveforms? Why would that they, why would they hide that from you? Why would a dealer or distributor hide the data? Huh. I don't know. I don't I wouldn't. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sound like an asshole now. <laughs> no, man, but like um the OSS surprised me because we got to see the data. You got to see the data. The data is public now. It's there on the website. Um, the sound suppression was surprising because the silencer is loud. You guys know that, right? Silencers in that suppression rating range are loud. We know that. There is no getting around that. But the fact that it works at all, the fact that it suppresses sound at all is wild to me, dude. It is wild to me. It flies in the face of what most companies do when they make silencers. Most companies are just trapping a lot of gas, and many are doing it really like amazingly well. But actually, like robbing heat energy from the flow during a very long path and then keeping it moving, it actually works better than I thought. Are they the first ones to think about this? Absolutely not. Are they the first ones to do it? Absolutely not. 
Are they one of the only ones that's on the market that's doing it right now? Yes, I think they are. And I thought that's cool. I thought that's interesting. And I think, hey, shout out to them, dude. Props. I know, hey, did I go visit them? Yes, yes. Have they paid me any money? Absolutely not. Don't get it twisted. They didn't even know I was testing their silencers. I didn't get the silencers from them. Just so so we're clear. So don't, you know, hey, I got to be careful because a lot of people like to talk talk mess. Don't talk mess. Put up or shut up or uh, other cliches, yada, yada. <laughs> no, but really like, um, so that was cool. Uh, that surprised me. It's wild. Um, is, is, is the OSS, are the OSS silencers something I would put on my guns? I don't know. I mean, if I had a gun that had to use it, you know what? If I finally some, if I sometime buy an AK, if I buy an AK, will I put an OSS silencer on it? I don't know. Will I think about it? I might. I don't know. I'll consider it. I gotta test. I got. I need to do some AK testing. Some guy asked me earlier, like earlier this week or week week uh, last week, if I was gonna test AKs. I told him I want to, but that would require me buying an AK. Ah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm looking forward. I'm looking for, forward to, to other people trying trying to trying to uh, improve the OSS stuff and like doing it better, and then competing with them, and then like looking forward to them making theirs better, and then competing with them, and like I don't know. That's what I'm all about. I'm about all about competition, making things awesome. That's like part of the reason for Pew Science, honestly. Like to to put all the data out there and see how good people see how good silencers can get. I just want the best stuff, dude. Like, I'm so selfish in that way. I mean, I want it all for you too, but you think if I didn't like silencers, I would be doing this? Like, relax. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a good question, sir, ma'am. Thank you for asking that. I hope that I hope that's that provides information to you about what's surprising to me and why. Okay. Um, global question 80, uh, local question 9. Is the Surefire SOCOM 556 RC2? A relevant dedicated 556 suppressor. Um so is the is the, is the 556 RC2 from Surefire a relevant dedicated 556 silencer? Um is it relevant? I think it's absolutely relevant. I mean, for one. It, it, it's issued to the military right now, right? I'm pretty sure. Like, they have that. They're using it to kill people with. So, in in, in that sense, it's relevant because it's being used to kill people right now. Like, right now. Um, so, I'd say it's relevant as a dedicated 5.6 silencer because of that. Um, another reason is that I think the design works well in that, like, the mount. Like, and bear with me. Okay. Bear with me. You're like, what? He's going to say it's good? I think that it's a design that allows operators to use their weapons unsuppressed or suppressed, which is sometimes what they do, I guess. Not all the time, because if you, you take your silencer off, you change zero, which is a problem. Uh, I guess sometimes you don't, but I think you always I think you always kind of do. Um, it's relatively small, um, but it's durable, right? Um, it masks signature reasonably well, I think. I don't know. I don't know specifically. I haven't tested it yet. This specific silencer. You know, it's not as advanced as some things, but it's also not as primitive as some things. And I think the design and its envelope overall could be improved, probably. But you know, I don't think we're gonna see it go away anytime soon. And so, you know, I'm you know what? Actually, 
I'm going to be, I'm going to go shoot it for fun in the afternoon this week. I have some things I need to do out in the field this week for, um, for other purposes, uh, like during the work week. And so what I might do is I might take my rifle. I might take my machine gun out with me, um, with this silencer on it. Oh man, I don't want to re-zero my EOTech. Uh, okay, I'm just going to shoot it then. I'm just going to shoot it. I'm not going to shoot it for like, for keeps and like try to hit stuff. Uh, I don't. I wonder how much. I wonder how much my point of impact would shift if I took the Helios off my gun, the Helios Ti, and then put this heavier one on there. My barrel's eleven and a half inches long. Oh man, this is like a dedicated five or six silencer, so it's like the bore's way tighter. It's definitely gonna. I bet you. I don't know. I don't know how much the point of impact is gonna shift um, from unsuppressed. But uh, it you know it's gonna I mean it's 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 gonna shift I mean you're gonna have to re-zero. Hmm. I don't know, but I think I'm gonna take it out. I'm gonna shoot it because you know what I haven't shot it yet. It's sitting it's sitting in my in 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 my inventory. I haven't even shot it yet. So I got it in a couple of weeks ago. I should just go do that. I don't want to wait anymore. So I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna go. I'm take the the the, the surefire there. Take my Helios out with it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sacrifice my hearing for you though, and I'm not gonna shoot these things without ears to like try it and see like how loud it. Is. Or maybe yeah. Who am I kidding? Yeah, I am. All right, I'll let you know. <laughs> All right, how are we doing time? And hour? okay, one more, one more. Okay. Question eighty-one. Local question ten from this group. Why do some silencers have more first-round pop? than others oh man this is actually very this is a very technical question drink some water stand by okay this is an extremely technical question um first round pop is a function of secondary combustion um Early time combustion, even after precursor flow, like after the muzzle uncorking, is is a highly complex phenomenon. Okay, I, I realize I just said some very complicated things. You might not know what they mean. Let me back up. Okay, when you shoot a gun, okay, there's like you know there's like air in the barrel, right? The air in the barrel is like sitting there. It, it's there. It doesn't matter if there's a silencer on it or not. There's air inside the barrel. When you like, forget about the silencer for a second. Just shooting the gun unsuppressed. When you shoot a gun, that bullet starts to move. Right? Why is the bullet moving? It's being pushed by expanding combustion gases. Um, it's it starts moving very quickly. The air in front of the bullet inside the barrel has to go somewhere. It doesn't just like, the, the the bullet just doesn't go through that air and then fly out. It pushes the air out, okay? And depending on the projectile speed, the barrel length, the projectile size, like that air column is gonna do different stuff, okay? And 
and when you go faster than the speed of sound, it gets even more complicated. Now, if you remember from the silencer sound standard, the the subsonic waveforms of the 22 silencer, I'm, I'm sorry, the 22 rifle, unsuppressed. Remember how when we measure with PewSoft, because we're measuring fast enough, and I give you the whole waveforms, you could see that there was a hump first. In, in like This might have been like section two of the silencer sound standard. I can't remember. It's like early on when I'm describing like what gunshots look like, unsuppressed. You saw that first you see this little hump. Well, that's because like the air can't get out of the way, so it piled up. That's a, that's like a really rudimentary way of saying we pushed air out of the barrel and we we formed a pressure wave from it. That is literally like in weapon design, if you want to be like a technical weapon guy, that's called precursor flow in 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 uh in internal ballistics. Okay? That's precursor flow that you see there. And after you get uncorking after the bullet leaves you get muzzle blast come out and you see that later in time but when it's supersonic stuff's happening so quickly stuff's nested on top of each other and you really don't see it delineated in the waveforms measured one meter left of the muzzle and so that's why you don't see that okay you, there are ways to see it actually um but it's not that you use a different type of of uh measurement technique not this type um and so that's very complex the way that the the so you can imagine this is there's a lot of stuff coming coming out of the barrel and it, and it's, and and um, when it comes out, um, it, it's it's very complex. And some silencers, some silencers are able to manage the combustion propagation of of the secondary events and the tertiary events that are coming out in a more efficient way. And that has to do with the way the blast chamber is shaped. And the way the, the the it's actually the geom the actual geometry of the blast chamber, the size of the blast chamber, um, and the the baffle configurations next to the blast chamber, um, and you know when on a very long silencer with many baffles, um, it you'll find that it is easier to mitigate the first round pop. You remember first round pop happens. You have air. You have you have existing air in the silencer, just like you had existing air in the barrel. Remember, if you have existing air in the silencer, um, the air is going to interact with with the, all that muzzle blast that's coming out. It's going to support extra combustion out there of other products that are that are that are being thrown in there too. Um, and so you gotta you got you have to uh, you have to suppress that. You have to you have to Take the temperature down. You have to lower the mass flow rate in this more violent scenario with extra oxygen and extra air in that in that silencer at first. So if your silencer is filled with extra air, how is your design going to deal with it? I mean, the blast chamber has a lot to do with it, guys. But then the length of the silencer does too when stuff gets burning. So how, how much can you trap? And our, and what kind of tricks can you use now? I don't that you know. It was interesting. The louder the cartridge, the less noticeable the FRP differential is going to be. But that's that's you know it just depends. It you know it's noticeable in supersonic three hundred eight, but it should be no surprise given the data you've seen, right? But if your silencer is really loud too, then it's going to be hard to get 
first round pop because like it's all loud. It's going to be hard to hear it, but it, it still exists. Now, in the subsonic realm, first round pop can be really loud, really, really loud, especially when there's unburnt particles. And so, and, and that's going to, it's going to further support secondary combustion inside the silencer. Man, short barrel lengths with first round pop. Why is that? Why do you think the first, the first round pop so bad on a short barrel? Why would that be? Are you burnt? You're not burning all your powder. It's going to contribute more. It's going to be bad. Um, higher pressure too. Um, it's actually something I'm currently studying. I am studying th this. Uh, I want to give you a more comprehensive answer, but also it's like, uh, but you know, I don't know. In order to do that, I do need to educate myself more on some of this. You know, this is, I don't know. A lot of people talk about first round pop, but truly understanding the most efficient way to mitigate it, man, that's uh something that a lot of people talk about. There's a few reasons for that, man. I tell you what, it's getting, it actually is getting into some design and trade secret stuff. It's also getting into stuff that like, yeah, I don't know if a lot of some of the stuff I know, I, I'm not sure I can talk about, but um, I think I've given enough information. It's pretty specific, actually, about what to do. But uh, as we progress through this effort, I mean, there might be a limit as to what we talk about on the podcast with regard to some of this. But um, look, you know, you can't talk about everything you do. But uh, but suffice to say. The, the original question is, why do some silencers have more first-round pop than others? It's because they are not managing they're not managing the the atmosphere in the silencer well enough, especially in the front part of the silencer. They're not managing it right. And they're not managing what's coming out of the silencer. I'm sorry, what's coming out of the barrel. And they they don't know that they're, they're not managing all the events right. I think, and I think there's different ways to manage the events, and I think um, there's trade-offs, and sometimes your first round pop is going to be loud, and part an, another thing your silencer does is good. The really awesome silencers is the ones that like have barely have any first round pop, and and like uh, I just remember like the Thunder Beast Ultra Nine, how great that was, and then remember like. Um, the CGS Hyperion, how great that was. Remember the, the Rugged Surge is really good in its long configuration on 308. It's really good. You know, those, those are some examples of some quiet silencers that have great first-round pop. You know, um, the OSS silencer had great first-round pop because everything was loud and it flowed a lot. <laughs> That's different, right? So anyway, anyway, I hope that answers your question, sir. Or man, I was going to say or man, but I think I know who asked that question. Actually, the person who asked that question is, um, I don't know. He might be wanting to like design something. So I know who you are, dude. What, you trying to get free consulting right now? <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. You're awesome. Um, okay, I think that's, I'm going to wrap up that. That's a long time. We're, we're almost an hour and a half in. Okay, great. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to highlight that question in our handy dance spreadsheet here. I'm going to highlight that. Boom. Highlight that yellow. We're leaving off on question 10 of that group. Save it. I'm going to close it. Great question, sir. Thank you so much for asking that question. Okay. All right. All right. Let's move into topic four at a time of one hour, 27 minutes, and 24 seconds. Thank you to all the dealers, um, the manufacturers, and, and the consumer members of Pew Science. Thank you so much. Your support makes this happen, and it means a lot. Um, and the dealer feedback 
recently has been really great. Um, a lot of great dealer feedback. Um, the outpouring of support from the community is amazing. A lot of folks have been, you know, there's been sharing their experiences with me, frankly, um, which has been really, really great um, regarding data publication and how it's helping them. Um, and folks are, you know, one thing, and it kind of made me happy. They said, man, I'm happy there's a place to get data that is open and honest. And they said, that. I was like, dang, dude, that like, it like kind of made me like a little bit, you know, to kind of make my face turn red. I'm like, man, thanks. Dude. That's, that's cool. Because it only works if it's helpful. If it's not helpful, it's not going to help anybody. And it's like, it's not, why do it, right? Um, the amount of dealers that have been using PewScience data to better inform their customers is amazing. That's cool. And, you know, the best, the best is when I get messages from dealers about how glad they are, like, that they're able to justify their recommendations now. Like, before, like, they would just, like, they just go off what they knew to be true. Because, like, they'd shoot a gun, and they'd be like, man, this silencer's pretty good. Or, and this silencer's pretty good. And they're like, well, and this silencer's not that good for this. Or this silencer's better for that. And that's great. When you have a good dealer that can do that, that's awesome. Like, when they have a good experience, that is so great. Like, that's really cool. Um, now, they they can they can definitely still do that. And they can, they can give their firsthand experiences. Um, but also, the, 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 they... They can also tell them that what they hear with their own ears is supported by Pew Science. And so if the customer is like not that like doesn't believe them and thinks that, oh, that you're just trying to sell me a silencer, which could be true. I mean, they are selling silencers, but I mean, that's not necessarily bad. They could be like, no, do you like for real? Like this sounds cool. Like you want to go shoot it? Maybe they go shoot it, which is the best. Always do that. But what if you can't? Or what if you're ordering something that, you know, the guy's shot, but he doesn't have in the store? And so now they can say, dude, not only does this sound good to me, like here's the Pew Science data that shows that it sounds pretty good too. And they'd be like, oh, cool. Now I can see. You know, you know what I mean? That is so cool. They, they told me they did that. I was like, oh my God. Like I didn't even think about that. Like I didn't even think about a silencer dealer using the data like that. I thought... The silencer dealers would be looking at it to decide maybe what silencers they would want to look at to sell to people, which I guess is another way people are using it. I don't know. I don't sell silencers. I'm like, how are people doing this? Like, I don't, I don't know how gun shops are selling things, but the fact that they're using the data to back up and support their own conclusions, that's awesome, dude. That is so cool. And so that made me smile. Um... Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for giving me that feedback. That like I love it. And you know what? If there are any dealers that that have issues with Pew Science data, like and you know, you've been shooting silencers and you're like, you know, we we don't want to say anything because like, you know, I don't know, for whatever reason, just that's don't just just email me, dude. Like call me. Like literally, like it's so easy to get a hold of me. Like there's so many ways to get a hold of me. And like not and like not saying anything to me is really weird because there's like no reason so like if you do feel strongly enough and you have like honest feedback and like honest experience to share and like you're scared to talk to me like don't be scared bro like i'm like literally like we all want the same thing we all want good data to consumers we all want people to to succeed um in in getting the coolest answer for their application you know what i mean jelly bean Okay. All right. Well, I hope that 
I hope that is a good episode for you folks. I know I uh, kind of went a little all over the place there, but uh, I had a fun and, and I and I like answering your questions. Um, I'm gonna go shoot that surefire, that surefire uh, SOCOM. Um, what is it? SOCOM. How do they say the model designation? SOCOM five five six RC two. Yeah, that's what it's called. I'm gonna go shoot it this week. I'm gonna try to shoot it maybe Thursday or something and t- tell you what it does to my gun. What if I just don't adjust the gas? And just shoot it. What happens? I bet my brass is going to inject into the stratosphere. Won't it? Because it's a 5.56 bore. And like the CGS Helios has a big bore. But my 11.5 inch mid, what will it do to it? What will it do to the 11.5 inch mid with a Surefire OBC? <gasps> I'm going to post a picture of it. I'm going to put it on tonight but and not adjust the gas. I'm just going to put it on there and take a picture. And then, then I'm going to shoot it this week. Okay. With that, I will let you go. Stay safe out there. I will talk to you folks again soon.